Welcome, friends and listeners of Radio Maria Australia. Our smart loving conversation today is about international romances, the joys and the challenges. But first, we want to introduce our guests. Today, we have Andrew and Nicole Kumbo, who are newlyweds, and they've been married for almost six months, married on the 2nd of January, 2023. Congratulations. And, <laughs> and they completed the Smart Loving Engaged course for their marriage preparation. So Nicole is originally from America, and Andrew is an Australian from Melbourne, and they are now based at the parish of St. Philip Neary in Fort Mill, South Carolina, USA, where Nicole works as the Faith Formation Coordinator of Children. And Andrew, after finishing his physiotherapy degree in Australia, is now studying business. Welcome, Andrew and Nicole. Ah, thanks. Great to be here. We just wanted to ask, as we do every Smart Loving Conversations, how has your walk with the Lord been these past few days? Bran, I'll throw it to you first. Yeah, sure. Look, I've been doing a little bit of reflection. I volunteered as a prayer minister a couple of weeks ago for a, um, a retreat. It was an international speaker coming out and the lines got crossed somehow with the organisers. And when I turned up and I, I sort of stood up to start praying with someone, they sacked me and asked me to stand yeah. down that I wasn't on the approved list. And I was really um, taken aback and quite offended. I didn't sort of behave badly. I just kind of just stepped down. I understand how they had to do it. But it was a little bit challenging just taking that to prayer and entering into the experience of, I guess, rejection and letting the Lord come into that space. So that was kind of a little bit of a a blip, but um, it's all, yeah. all growth. So. Sorry, you were sacked from being a volunteer, Fran. That's awful. <laughs> oh. and Andrew and Nicole, what about you? How's your faith walk been for these past few yeah. days? Yeah, I think for me, um, what I've been really sitting with at the moment is just really trying to be a bit more malleable. I feel like, you know, maybe that's what God is calling me to do, you know, being here in this new environment now for almost a year and a half and um, you know, I guess the the plans that I had for my life, you know, um, prior to, to meeting Nicole, uh, you know, things are looking a little bit different now. So I think God's really calling me just to be a little bit more open and trusting. You know, I can reflect on how many times that God's really come through um, in my life and in our lives and how, how good he's been to us. Um, so I think he's just, yeah, just calling me to, to keep trusting, um, to keep being patient. For me, something I struggle with is, you know, really wanting to to be in control of everything and, you know, really wanting to be at that next step now. But, um, yeah, really just trying to make the most of, I guess, the how things are now and uh, the ways that God might be trying to, I guess, form me into, you know, the man that he wants me to be for, for the future, for our marriage and for our lives. Yeah, so. Similar for me, just trusting and, you know, the unknown and the things that I just feel, you know, life has been very busy recently and it's easy to get so consumed and I have all of these things to do and work and family obligations and all these different things, but just, yeah, keeping what's important first and keeping time for mm -hmm. prayer, maintaining that um, peace and that trust and stability in God and his good plan for us, rather than getting bogged down in the day-to-day -day tasks. You're at quite a crossroads, aren't you, as, as um, newly married, as big adjustments and also so many decisions to make about the way you're setting up your lives together. So the trust yeah. is important, but not always easy. Yeah. Well, definitely. thank you for sharing both of you. Andrew, I, I was just nodding my head when you were speaking because in, in the same way I'm battling with 
you know, being malleable and um, especially being not afraid as my due date for birth approaches. I'm reading a lot of Catholic mothers' reflections on childbirth and the advice is that there comes a point during labour where you believe you just can't do it anymore. And one woman in her reflection said that you have to completely let go and trust in God with everything and not out of holiness or your intellectual efforts, but just out of pure desperation and pain. So I'm a bit nervous and excited to walk with the Lord during labour and praying that I have the confidence to simply just trust in God during that time where I just can't handle it myself. (laughs) So it's interesting. In some ways, all of us are sharing on a theme of trust and uh, trusting in the Lord. And I guess that's, in some ways, it's a theme of every life is the Lord calls us into the unknown and calls us to rely on him. If I can turn now to our topic um, on international romances, the joys and the challenges, again, that's another, I guess, particular, every time we set out on a relationship and we risk falling in love, we're taking, we're doing so with the trust that the other person will honour us and respect us and be kind with our feelings and so on. But it's particularly that the stakes are really high when it's an international romance. So I'm really keen to unpack this with you both because, as we mentioned, Laura and her husband Joe is an American, so they're another international romance that are present here. My perception is, and I could be wrong, I don't have data to prove it, but my perception is is that we're seeing more and more international romances. And, I mean, this shouldn't surprise us in a way. The global travel is quite ubiquitous now, um, whether it's for recreation or for work. I'd be interested to hear your stories about how you ended up to being in the same place at the same time at the beginning of your romances. But we've got the dating apps and the online forums that have really expanded the dating market. So we've got also these digital romances that you might start digital but end up becoming in-person ones. And then we've got things like World Youth Day, the largest gathering Mm. of young Catholic young people in the world, which is really like a global singles mixer. I remember when it was hosted here in Sydney, we had a little stall in the expo and and so many young people came up and were just, it was, I think we had love, sex and marriage. And somebody said, well, you've got the order wrong. We said, well, it just doesn't, the rhythm doesn't work <laughs> in the other way. But so many people came to us to sort of talk about saying, I'm so desperate to meet somebody. Is there somewhere where we can kind of just have some kind of capacity to help us um, mix and mingle? But in some ways, the whole event is a bit like that. How did you guys meet? We'll start with you, um, Andrew and Nicole. Just give us, you know, the, the highlights of your story of how you've got together and we'll continue to unfold it under different themes for the rest of our discussion. We met in 2020 doing a year of mission work together for an organization called Net Ministries, and that was in Australia. So Andrew had, obviously he's from Melbourne, but he came to Brisbane for the training, and I flew over for the training, and we met there initially. And then actually, um, we weren't put on the same team at the beginning of the year, but I was on a traveling team that got shut down because of COVID. So it actually ended up that COVID rearranged things, and um, we ended up spending the majority of the year on the same team together. Yeah. Blessing in disguise. And I know know Nicole's got a, a bit of a crazy story about how she uh, really felt called to do net and uh, likewise I do as well you know I consider myself a pretty introverted person so thinking about the prospects of uh, having to do you know youth ministry and to to be you know on a team 24-7 was a bit of a challenge I think. Just for our listeners can you give just explain what net ministries is so that some of our listeners might not have heard of it. Yeah so net ministries um, there's net USA, net Australia, 
Net Uganda and a, and a few different other ones. But essentially, it's a, it's a peer-to-peer youth ministry organization, I guess, helps to foster you know, a love of Jesus and, and help to foster the Catholic faith. You know, there are different kinds of uh, teams. There are teams that work more in your local setting. There are teams that work more in your archdiocese setting. And there are teams that work in universities that was that was our team and net stands for national evangelizing team from memory and it's a catholic initiative and typically from memory and you could maybe you could correct me if i'm wrong that the team members they commit like a year or you live in living community so they're receiving formation and growing in their own faith while they're on the road or visiting other schools or parishes organizations youth groups and so on to provide spiritual retreats that's still true that, that's okay. pretty much it and you know you know depending on what, what kind of team you're on you know you, you might be running retreats you might be just you know it could be as simple as just journeying with the young people mm-hmm. that you find yourself with like a lot of our ministry at, at acu in sydney was relational ministry just journeying mm-hmm. with you know, the young men and women who were there and you know showing them that you know you can be a normal person and you know mm-hmm. be Catholic and be into your faith and kind yeah. of unpacking that and just journeying with them, at, I guess, at their own pace. So ACU for our listeners is the Australian Catholic University. You were on the Melbourne campus, is that right? The Sydney campus, the North Sydney, Sydney campus. campus. North Sydney yeah. campus. Okay, so that's that's close to our home territory. Thank you for that. So it was really, in a, in a very real way, I mean, God had a very direct hand in some ways because as you were giving yourselves in service for the mission of the Lord, he was bringing you together. So praise be to the Lord, hey? What about you, Laura? How did you end up meeting Joe? Yeah, so Joe and I didn't meet on a ministry experience. The last place I thought I'd meet a nice Catholic husband. Um, I was on a Kentucky tour with my cousin Anna, who was over from England. And so we were, yeah, on a two-week holiday um, going down the east coast of Australia. And so Joe happened to also be on that Kentucky tour. And he just recently lost his mum to breast cancer so that he shared that with me and I happened to ask if he was any religion and he said Catholic and we just had some really beautiful conversations about his mum. So I really think she brought us together and encouraged him to, you know, pray for his mum and go back to Mass. And so I really, yeah, think that I found love in an unexpected place. Were were you like the two kids down the back of the bus making out while everybody else was trying not to look? (laughs) I think everyone, by the end of the trip, we, we knew that, there was more than friendship there and it was like, what do we do now? <laughs> and so that that whole thing of Joe said, I'm going to come back to Australia, don't date anybody else. And I, I was saying, gosh, that's big words you're saying. Maybe just go think about it. You've had a, a big thing in your life happening with losing your mum. So, but yeah, it was the trigger for some really powerful spiritual conversations and just went emotionally deep really quickly in terms of sharing with one another. So so now we live in Sydney, Australia, and he's we've adopted him as an Australian citizen. <laughs> They're great stories. And uh, it's one of the things we love to do in our marriage retreats is we get couples, when we have dinner, we get them to tell their love story, usually in a lot more detail, and it's always really good fun. And what strikes me through so many stories is just how remarkable they are in the sense of so unlikely. There's often so many obstacles and things that couples have to overcome. Every love story, every romance is just this heroic, epic story of 
the persistence of love, of dedication, and and usually quite a big dose of providence in there as well. So it's great to hear those stories and just have those themes kind of coming through. I'd like to turn just briefly to the joys, the unique joys, I could suppose, or advantages of an international romance. We're going to get on to challenges in a minute, but before we do, what are some of the things that gives your relationship a little bit of an edge or a bit of an advantage, do you think, over a relationship like Brian and mine, like we're literally the boy and girl next door. We're not quite literally. We're in the same parish. So we're two two or three blocks from each other growing up. And that was the house I pretty much spent 21 years living in. So it was very much in, in my own backyard romance. So what, what advantages does an international romance bring? I could kick off first. I think for Joseph and myself, and I think Andrew and Nicole probably agree, that when you meet on something like a Contigi tour or a World Youth Day or a ministry experience, that extended period where you're travelling together or, you know, living in community together, eating meals together, things like that regularly, it's like intensive initial contact. So it's kind of accelerated discovery of one another. So what I found, what I found interesting in our case was I saw Joe when he was hungry. I saw him when he was tired. I saw him when he'd had a few too many beers. He saw me in all those situations too. So you really, it's like six months in two weeks of in terms of discovering somebody or dating them. We weren't, you know, dating, but you know what I mean? Like just that, okay, I, I see more of this person rather than if you have a two-hour date once a week for, you know, months and months and months. Mm. That's my experience that I think it speeds things up in terms of the timeline. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think for me, a big joy has been, I guess, you know, the excitement and the newness of it all, being able to connect with Nicole's family and the American culture and yeah just just the newness of it all and some of the nuances you know some things that are different or even now like there are some things I'll say that Nicole's like what what do you mean (laughs) (laughs) you certainly need that glossary don't you (laughs) even uh, some things some words they have here to to call different things I'm like what what do you mean what is what's that I guess that that doesn't get it doesn't get old and yeah it's a bit of fun to share those kind of novelty pieces of each of our cultures with the other person and kind of see it through their eyes you know it's like watching a football game to me would be so boring but Andrew's you know asking you know what's going on and kind of getting to know you know something that I take for granted and vice versa like his family wants to mm. really a themed party and it was just cute with kangaroos and pavlova and sausage snags and all these kind of things and it's just, <laughs> good yeah. job you're getting there yeah you're learning yes. the lingo <laughs> That's great. you have an appreciation for it when you're not born in it you know i guess it, it brings to mind the phrase familiarity breeds contempt that sometimes when we're too close to something, we just take it for advantage. And I've had the experience, my brother and sister-in-law and their family lived in the United Kingdom for about six or seven years. They used to live in our parish here and we saw them every Sunday at Mass. Their son was in our son's class, so we were doing things after school. And we hardly ever socialised together, even after Mass. We were so conscious of trying to talk to other people, we wouldn't talk to each other. And so even though they lived so close, we hardly had any just friendship time with them. And then when they moved to the UK, we went to visit them after a year or two and stayed with them for a week in their home. And after the initial superficial catch-up, we got down to really beautiful, deep conversations. And it was some of the most wonderful time together to just have that extended time. And it doesn't happen with the relatives that are living here in Sydney because we see them so often we don't prioritise 
the time because yeah. there's always going to be another opportunity. So sometimes yeah. I think that separation can bring in that novelty and that motivation to really go more deeply. Yeah, definitely. Let's take a quick break now and come back to discuss some challenges with international romances. We've talked about the joys. Let's come back and discuss some challenges after this quick break. Smart Loving Engaged Online. Before getting married in the Catholic Church, many priests and dioceses require that a couple completes a marriage preparation course to prepare themselves for the sacrament of marriage and to support them with helpful relationship tools. Smart Loving Engaged Online is a course which will give you the tools to make your marriage the best it can be. The course is comprised of nine lessons. When the course is complete, you will be emailed a certificate and a course report to give to your celebrant. Work at your own pace when it suits you. The Smart Loving Engaged curriculum has ecclesiastical approval and is approved for use in numerous dioceses throughout the world, including Australia, New Zealand, the UK, USA and Asia. Visit smartloving.org forward slash engaged. Gift certificates are also available if you would like to purchase the Engage course for a friend or family member. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about international romances. Our guests, Andrew and Nicole, are a transcontinental couple. They're newly married just a couple of months. We've been talking initially about the joys and the advantages of an international romance, but now we want to turn our attention to the challenges. So I thought we might start with firstly looking at just in the time period before marriage, and then we can look at some of the challenges post-marriage. But it seems to me there's kind of two different categories there. In terms of before your marriage, do your engagement or dating, what were some of the things that you were, I guess, wrestling with that was a complication or a challenge specific to the fact that you were from two different countries. Just negotiating practicals. I ended up, so I was there on mission originally, but then I ended up enrolling in a master's and was there on a student visa. Now Andrew's here on a student visa, also in a master's program. So we've navigated it that way, but it's always a big, a lot of paperwork and a big hurdle to jump through. Yeah, definitely. Mm. And I remember the the first time I, I came here, it was a bit of a, bit of an adjustment, a bit of a challenge because we didn't really have a plan. Left my work behind as a physio and packed the bags and booked the plane ticket and and came over just on a a holiday visa. We weren't engaged at that point, um, but we had had done some time apart and we kind of knew that we're still feeling pretty, pretty good about things. So I think, yeah, just just tackling that unknown. And it's it's kind of a big unknown, you know, if, if you think about it, not really having any solid plans in place and travel at that time was still a little bit difficult with, oh, yeah, with how COVID things were. COVID lockdowns. Yeah, that first, the first flight I came over, there was there was hardly anyone on the plane. Um, it was pretty crazy. But uh, That's a rare thing. Get a couple of seats to yourself. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always conscious of just the complication that visas bring into things that you have to be really intentional. And I, I always have to do a double take. Like I'm so used to just the freedoms of being able to think, oh, look, if I want to study, I can go and do a bit of study. If I want to get a part-time job, I can get a part-time job or take a holiday or whatever. But when you're a visitor in another country, you actually have to apply to do some of those things. If you've entered on a tourist visa, you can't just get a part-time job or you can't just enrol in a course. You actually have to apply for a new visa. And 
and I actually got caught out with that with my husband. We moved to New York just after we were married and I got a part-time job with uh, in some research and it wasn't working out. So I gave it up and enrolled at Fordham University and didn't even think about visas until I'd left the country and was trying to get back in and they held me up at the border. <laughs> Wow. Um, I think the visa thing really means you have to be, you have to think very hard about what you want to do because there's yeah. barriers to it and you've got to, there's money's got to go down to, you know, get those visas and, and so on. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm remembering even, you know, this is like the end of 2020, towards the end of our year of mission, we really had to think ahead and mm. look into all those different options on both sides. And it was, it was really daunting, but yeah, it can, can be a real challenge to kind of figure things out. And as you said, you've got to be really intentional about the steps that you mm. take. So in terms of hosting the wedding, was it in Australia or America? In Melbourne, in Australia. In Melbourne. Okay. So how did you negotiate that? Because that's always a big thing for the transcontinental couple. Like where, where's the wedding going to be? There's going to be, where are we going to live? And then also where's the wedding going to be? Andrew was actually really open to having it in either place, but I really wanted it to be in Australia because I'm really attached to his nieces and nephews and I wanted the kids to be in the wedding. And, you know, even more so his family is really huge. He's got, he's one of five kids who all have kids of their own and spouses. I'm the oldest of three. So it was just practically a lot easier for my immediate family to travel that far. And it is a big trip. It's not mm-hmm. like being in Europe and you can go from, in an hour, you can cross five countries. <laughs> had a bit of a summer wedding, which was nice, and um, reception by the beach. So that was a nice draw as well. Laura, what about your situation? You had a period of separation, though. You weren't in the same country for a lot of your courtship, were you? Yeah, so after the two-week initial intense meeting with each other and falling in love, because his work had paid for part of his degree, he owed them via contract, I think it was 11 months. So we had to long distance date for 11 months after we'd initially met. So we kept in contact via Skype or VoIP phone, I think it was back in the day. And yeah, that was difficult, but also really intense because it was emotional, just chatting like for for an hour, Mm. you know, at a time and um, or several hours at a time. And so then, yeah, when Joe had finished that 11 months, he had to sell all these things and he came to Australia and we dated properly <laughs> and wow. and then got married, I think, a year later. So, but all the, you know, I was Googling things about visas and a lot of my Irish friends had to work at farms and pick apples or pick mangoes <laughs> or work on banana <laughs> plantations. And I was thinking, like my dad was saying to me, if Joe can't get a job, he might need to go and do that and do a farm stay. And I was just yeah, thinking, we, oh, I can't let him do that by himself. I'm going to have to do it uh, too. <laughs> and I, Nicole was going to be a strawberry picker. That was our Oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's like full on, like it's really hard work. Mm. From my Irish girlfriends, I'd heard some really intense horror stories about the mango sap is quite acidic, so it can burn <laughs> your hands. And I had another girl who told me that she accidentally macheted her face when she was trying to cut down the banana (laughs) she was like you know they teach you how to do it properly but she got a bit bored and so she was macheting in all different kind of angles and you know got a bit (laughs) got a bit silly and actually cut herself on her face and I was just hearing these stories and thinking oh my goodness I really hope Joe gets a job in an office quickly (laughs) so we'd don't have to extend the visa but it all worked out God's providence all worked out he got a job very quickly within nine days of coming here the particular degree he'd done in America in flow cytometry was needed here 
So we just were very, very lucky. And so just to come back to you, Andrew and Nicole, your physiotherapy degree, you're doing more study over there. Is your physio degree recognised? Could you work as a physiotherapist in America if you wanted to? Not from the get-go. I would have had to go back to, to uni for a couple of years and oh, uh, dear. do a, a few bits and pieces. So I that was something I considered at the start. Um, Nicole's mum is actually a physio over here, so it was great mm-hmm. to be able to have her as a bit of a mentor and, and talk through some things. I'd always had a bit of a, a side interest in business and eventually you know, maybe using that um, with something physio-related or otherwise, maybe a little bit sooner going back to school than I thought I would be, but um, that's kind of how, you know, what led me into the business studies yeah just to translate for our australian audience when he says going back to school he means going back to university <laughs> or uni oh, wow. as we say <laughs> so, <laughs> you're, you're, slipping, you're slipping into the american lingo really well <laughs> <laughs> and i guess that can be a really big thing for joe as well when you're uprooting from somewhere where you've got not just family and your friendships and all your networks and roots but also a source of employment going to a foreign country and it's usually it's going to be one or the other. So whether it's the the husband or the wife that's doing the move, it's a really big thing, isn't it? When you rec- your qualifications that you've worked so hard to get are not accepted or recognised in the place that you're going, it's it's a really big thing, um, yeah. and can and yeah. can lead to complete changes of direction in terms of your career planning and. But look, I think God's really been been good to us, and you know, opening up the right doors at the right time. So I, I had been thinking about studying business and. That was a good door to open. But even, you know, being able to find a really good job at the university, which fits into my, you know, student visa, which is, you know, it's a little bit better than just your standard kind of, you know, whatever job you can find. You know, it's it's, it's a good job and I'm learning lots. So I think, yeah, God's really been good. And um, even though 100% it is, it is a challenge, I think I really feel like he's been there for us and, you know, he's been guiding us. So. I have a question for you, Nicole. Do you find that because Andrew has come to your country, do you find that you're the cultural translator in the event that something you're thinking, Andrew won't understand what's going on here in this circumstance? Can you give any funny <laughs> stories or examples about that? Um, it's usually just the lingo, the phrases I've, on both sides. Whenever Andrew's talking to people here, one party will say something and I my brain goes, nope, they don't. they're thinking something different. Or, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, something different in Australia. And so, but Andrew's, he's really used to it now, but especially at first, yeah, just kind of filling in those gaps. Because I find that with Joe a lot. I'm aware. I'm not sure if Joe just got that reference. I just have to check in with him and make sure he understands. It happened to us the other day. We were at a friend's house and, and Joe had put his um, hood over his head. And so he had his, um and, and he'd done the drawstrings to make the my friend's kids laugh. And our friend Mike said, oh, you look like Kathy Freeman, which is a famous Australian athlete who wore a bodysuit when, when she ran her 400 metres in the Olympics. Joe was looking like puzzled, like, who's Kathy Freeman? <laughs> so I had to explain. <laughs> I had to explain to him, you know, she was a famous, uh, you know, gold Olympian athlete for the Sydney Olympics in 2000. So there's yeah. often times like that where I'm like having to, <laughs> yeah. you know, make sure Joe understands. It's quite funny. I, I just remembered something. When I first came here, we would go for walks through Nicole's neighbourhood and we would walk by someone and they would wave at us. You know, Nicole would wave at them like, you know that person? <laughs> or like a car would drive by and give us a friendly <laughs> wave. I'm like, 
do you know do you know who that is? It's like, no, it's just what we do here. <laughs> South Carolina that, hospitality. Yeah. That 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 might be unique to some parts. Maybe you wouldn't do that if they were in Harlem or somewhere. I don't know. They might be different or downtown LA. There might be some neighborhoods you wouldn't wave to people in the cars yeah. driving by. The other one for Andrew, um, like here, if you're in your first year of high school, you're a freshman or college, even that college yeah. is uni and you know, so freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, Andrew. Still, still what am I? <laughs> so when I was uh, researching this topic a little bit, a couple of articles brought up some ideas. I'd like to just see what you think about them. One was is that the friendships, when you move to another country, even if it's going into the friendship network of one spouse, the other spouse is coming in without any of their network. And so there's this, they tend to slip into the friendships that are already existing. And it's, again, much harder to just make new friendships. So that, I don't know if that's been your experience where it's it's always really healthy to have obviously friends that we have we share as a couple but it's good to have our own friendships that stand apart from the relationship as well so that we've got a you know a wide circle of just that nourishing friendship that we can call on to help build us up and that we can support as well is that something that you've been able to navigate successfully in the time you've been well I guess each of you have had to do that in different ways haven't you when you were here in Australia Nicole and now you Andrew in, in America yeah look I think if I'm being honest it, it's definitely a challenge especially not just being in a new place but a new culture and things like that I think what was helpful for us is Nicole was already pretty connected with her church so you know we would go to go to the young adults group and you know the, the crowd there was like late 20s early 30s even you know like young family so it was kind of mm. like a, that that stage which was which was great for us so yeah I got to meet a few people there which was really helpful and then aside from that I think you know, Nicole's family is really welcoming. You've, you've got a brother that's a couple of years younger than me, so it's good to hang out yeah. with him. Yeah, good. Yeah. Church communities but, are so um, healthy in that regard because they, they're sort of like the soft landing in into a foreign culture, aren't they? Because there's something about, I mean, the mass is the same everywhere in the world, so it's something that's familiar and it always feels like home no matter where it is, even if it's in a strange language or with a strange accent. But just the community, there'll be youth groups and men's breakfasts or women's or play groups or whatever. There's lots of different ways to connect and build friendships with local people through this facilitated through those church communities. It's a really incredible gift. In Australia, as you know, we have huge migrant communities here. And we know from looking at the statistics of mass attendance that it's the migrant communities that are some of the biggest attenders and that's got the highest proportion of their members that practice their faith, whether it's Catholicism or another Christian denomination. And I think that's part of it is that the coming to a strange place where you don't have that network of relationships, those church communities are so vital to help transition. The the other topic that came up, which I think is quite interesting, and it might be one of those things that comes out more further down the track in a marriage. But this this person was talking about, you know, the debates about differential sacrifices. When it inevitably gets a little bit difficult in the marriage, perhaps, you know, there's young children and there's not much sleep or there's financial stress or something going on. It's tempting for the one who has sacrificed their home, their base to move to the other place to throw that back in the face of the other saying, well, you shouldn't complain. I've got it much harder. I haven't got my family here or whatever. I don't know, Laura, if that's been something that 
that's come up with for you and Joe. You're, you know, 10 years married. Yes. So a little yeah. bit further down the track. Is that something that's come up in your kind of discussions when things have been a bit tense? Joe's never said anything like that. And sometimes I feel guilty. I'm like, I've got it so easy, right? My family's down the road. Christmas is mostly with my family. Every two years we try and go back to the USA to spend time with his people, his family, my family now as well. Yeah, I've often said, are you happy here? (laughs) Like, Mm. do you feel like Australia's home? And Joe's response is often like, sometimes I get homesick, but when he goes back to the States, it's like he gets his fix and he feels now that when he comes back to Sydney that Sydney is home and that Australia is home. So that's just beautiful and a relief as his spouse and wife that he's gotten to that stage. But sometimes he'll just crave, you know, an American meal or dish or something like that or the smells. He says that the smells can be quite emotive for him and bring back those those memories. But once he's been back a week or two, he's ready to come back home to Australia, as he says. So that's that's beautiful. But yeah, I do feel guilty, to be mm. honest. And and I guess particularly in his circumstances where his mum had died, so his dad was on his own. So there would have been, I guess, an added sense of guilt around perhaps thinking in terms of his pursuit of you as abandoning his dad. So yeah. it doesn't mean yes. it actually is the way it was, but it's it's helpful, I think, to sometimes just acknowledge those sort of misgivings that we can be carrying and can be playing in our subconscious, even if it's not articulated. Yeah. And I think Joe's dad's remarried. So his wife, Barbara, whenever we, we always go over and stay with them when we visit the USA. So Charlie, Joe's dad's looked after, you know, but I think that if Joe's mum was still alive, maybe that would be a little bit harder too, because he was very close with his mum. So, you know, because his mum isn't there, it's different when he goes back to the US now, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Everything's changed for him. So it's an interesting kind of overlay in the in the transition. Look, we might just take a quick break. You've been listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We'll be right back. The Marriage Kit by Smart Loving is an online course for married couples wanting a lasting, passionate relationship. The course will allow you to grow in your understanding of each other and strengthen your bond with thought-provoking insights and practical skills. Research shows that relationship education can help you and your spouse improve your communication and conflict resolution skills, strengthening your relationship and reducing family breakdown. Gift certificates for the marriage kit are also available if you would like to purchase the course for a friend or family member and their spouse. Visit smartloving.org forward slash marriage kit. Welcome back. You're listening to Smart Loving Conversations on Radio Maria Australia. We've been talking about international romances with our guests, Andrew and Nicole, and we wanted to turn our attention to marriage preparation and how that might be managed in complexities of international relationships. Talk to us about your own preparation for the sacrament of marriage. Yeah, we did a few things. We did our the diocesan marriage prep here for the South Carolina diocese. And then we also did the Smart Loving program, which we loved. We really got a lot of Smart Loving and it worked out great for us because it's able to be done online completely you know, from anywhere in the world. Yeah, we learned a lot from that. And yeah, so I think we kind of, we, we journeyed with a good uh, priest friend of mine, uh, Father Deshaun, and he kind of recommended that 
alongside our sessions with him that we we do the the smart loving course i think we we both found it really good because we're just able to really go into depth and detail we found that maybe in what we had done previously didn't allow us to do that it's Um, great conversation there's so many built-in conversation starters and things where the video is brief but then we get to really dive in and you know often you know often it would take us a few sessions to, to get through the one kind of like lesson yeah. the conversations would just kind of spill over and but it was great because we're able to take our time with it and really get into the nuts and bolts and were there any aha moments of something you learned in the engaged course that you use regularly or remember really but what stands out is the conflict resolution section about basically it's not about compromising or one person kind of giving way but it's about discovering the underlying value that each person has mm-hmm. and usually we I mean we use that all the time we're usually fighting about something stupid and completely trivial but those are the things that you know stack up so it's that training has helped us be able to just take a step back and say okay why don't you think we should run the dishwasher right now why do you <laughs> think you know things like that and appreciate both those underlying values yeah that's my experience too with joe we use the conflict resolution tools that we learn all the time just such a benefit of the course for me it was yeah i guess similar just kind of a a deeper understanding of you know our differences as like me as the man and you as the woman and how our kind of upbringing and various other factors kind of form the way that we Know, perceive things and react to things yeah I think just that delving into that was was really helpful for me as well okay. yeah. Andrew is incredibly introverted and I'm very much an external processor and so I'll come home and I'm upset about something and I'll just go you know go for it and be yeah. chatting Andrew's ear off he's just sitting there supportively it's been helpful <laughs> to for Andrew to be encouraged to speak up more and share more but also for me to know that you know, how to respect his way of communicating and not bombard him with things. And, yeah. And, you know, it's a balance too. I think when we when we were, you know, the, the early, early days, I would often be quick to try and solve the problem, give Nicole solutions, but now I've kind of learnt to, to listen <laughs> a little better. And Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been really helpful and practical. Yeah, often it's just somebody listening helps soothe, right? And it's not about yeah. solving the problem, it's about having a listening ear. So true. Yeah. And and it's interesting, I'm always curious to know which parts are striking the chord with couples and it's usually things like the communication, the conflict resolution in the early stage of their marriage and then when we if we speak to them later on, particularly after they've had children, the thing that comes through really strongly is the family of origin. Mm. And it seems to be that there's something about once you have a baby in your arms, that all of that formation around how you were held in the arms of your mum and dad and how they interacted to you comes back in this kind of subconscious instinctive pattern. And it's just assumed that that's the way it's always done. And of course, you came from two different backgrounds, two different families. And so that's when often a lot of the differences around the formation really get highlighted is around how to raise these children. That's when you come back to the conflict resolution after that, because it will, as often does, stimulate a lot of conflict. But the insights of the family of origin and being able to recognise where it's coming from can give you a really good freedom to be able to say, okay, well, that's how mum and dad do it. Your mum and dad did it differently. The guys next door are probably doing it differently. We don't have to be bound by what we experienced 
in our childhood. We can make our own decisions here as a couple. 100%. Uh, I think similar to all this is, um, I think you guys call it like using I feel statements. Yeah. Uh, and that's really helped, really helped us to understand why certain things, you know, are an issue for one of us. And yeah, just to not, not approach it as kind of like an, an argument, but just just a way to understand each other a little better. So I think that's been another technique that's been great for us. Mm. I think one of the things I've learned with years of not doing it very well sometimes, but with the I sentencing is it's almost the discipline of focusing on this is my response, I can own it. There's been this trigger, this incident, this situation that the other person might have done, said or admitted to do something or whatever, but my reaction is my reaction. There's often this blame posture that comes into the conversations and I want to be able to say to Byron, you made me upset about this. Well, no, no, my upset is my reaction. It's I, I need to own that. It's the way I'm interpreting something as what has happened. And so it gives, and initially it's really uncomfortable and confronting because it feels, it's a lot easier, I suppose, to blame somebody else for something yeah. that we don't like. But by taking it on, it's ultimately empowering because it gives me the opportunity to, I guess, understand more or, or it invites me to look for the real networks of causes that is stimulating that. And it's often something that's unhealthy in me. It's an unhealthy belief. It, it's a, a history of assumptions or expectations that are misplaced, whatever it is. And and if I'm constantly focusing on Byron and what he's doing to upset me, I never even look at that. Mm. It just it just leads me to see him as the enemy instead of focusing on what I can actually do to resolve the situation and make it better for both of us. Yeah. I had a question as newlyweds, Nicole and Andrew, what tips or advice can you offer to newlyweds and perhaps maybe one thing you wish you'd done differently, like in terms of rewind six months ago, getting ready for the wedding, what advice can you offer to other newlyweds and one thing you wish you'd done differently? Just recently in the past couple of days, we sat down and we did a really detailed budget together, which has already been really helpful for us because Andrew's much more of a natural saver and I'm more of a natural spender. So we, we kind of, we talked about a budget a little bit when we were very first married, but it was kind of a loose, it's kind of what we like to save. And, and we thought we were on the same page, but then of course, inevitably little things would come up and little disagreements about money. So it's been really freeing actually for us to just have the spreadsheet and have, here are the numbers and here's what concrete both of us are wanting to spend on this and this and this. Yeah. I think similar to that, it's, is not being afraid to let your spouse know when maybe maybe a strategy or, or a solution that you're trying isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know for us, you know, we, we had talked about finances um, you know, in our marriage prep and early on, but what we were doing wasn't working for me. So just, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to have the, the confidence to reapproach that conversation and to, I guess, collaborate with each other and not feel like one of us is is you know giving up or conceding ground but we're really coming up with a solution together yeah, yeah. thanks did you guys combine your bank accounts or have you still got separate cards no, combined we, everything yeah combined. okay combine. yeah because what's interesting for joe and i we had many years of infertility so we were both full-time working so we never combined our bank accounts. I always had my own spending. He had his own spending, but we would got a mortgage together. And so there was one account that all the mortgage stuff came out of. But now that I'm pregnant and about to give birth, 
soon I'll lose my salary. So we are now having the, the conversation of, okay, we're going to have to, you're going to have to like give me a stipend or something, Joe, so I can go get the groceries. Or <laughs> So yeah, it's interesting. I think we're going to have to sit down with a spreadsheet as well and just make sure that we don't have any conflict over. You spent how much on whatever dress sale? <laughs> and hilariously, when you get to the other end of life, so we're 35 years married, we've always had joint everything and we've just gone and got separate individual bank accounts because it's incredibly complicated when one of you dies, if you've got a joint account and you notify the bank, they freeze the account. So you have to have an account in your own name so that you can transfer money out before you notify the bank um, that your spouse has died. So we've just been part of our, you know, preparing for whatever might be in our sort of future. Hopefully it's not imminent, but you never know if things can happen. We've actually gone back to, we've still got joint accounts. We've also got separate ones as well. So yeah. it's um it's kind of full circle. So there you go, ages and stages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Financial stages and marriage. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Nicole, before we uh, take a break, can you just give us a little bit of information? You're the family faith coordinator in your parish. Can you just explain for our listeners what that involves? In Australia here, we don't our parishes I think tend to be a little bit smaller here. So we often don't have a lot of employed staff to run ministries. It's mostly run by volunteers. So tell us a bit about what you do and particularly the marriage and family programs that come under your remit. Uh, My biggest kind of responsibility is the kids programs, ministry and classes. So here the Catholic schools aren't very common. So most Catholic kids go to public school and then they come to a weekly faith formation class when they're um, basically primary school age. So I coordinate all of that. That's taught by volunteers, but we have close to 90 volunteers to make that happen because we've got oh my goodness approaching 500 kids this year. And the parish is just in an area that's growing exponentially. So it's just a really, my families are, you know, really flock into this area and to the parish, which is great. So take some coordinating and yeah, trying yeah, to do more and more fun things for them as well. Community building. So it's not just coming to a class, but they can have movie nights and have pizza parties and more of a ministry mm. approach as well is kind of my, my passion with it. So you're doing like the confirmation program, the first reconciliation, Holy Communion, all of that. I do first reconciliation and first communion, but then we also have a separate middle school coordinator who does the the programs for sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, and then we have a separate high school coordinator who handles the confirmation program and the life team program, which is the youth group and also young adults. So there's, yeah, there's three of us full-time ministry leads at the church. All young women, so it's a bit of fun. (laughs) Wow. It sounds like a diocese, doesn't it? It's just a parish. It's It's huge. That's amazing. And I'm thinking the nearest equivalent might be our um, public school catechetics that we have here where we get volunteers from the parishes who go into their local public school for half an hour a week to and they, they get the students get released from their normal classes to attend the religious denomination of their choice. So they get all the basic catechesis. So, you know, scripture and prayer and not so much specific sacrament preparation. Um, so you'd be covering basically a full curriculum of discipleship life. I was amazed when I lived in Australia just how many Catholic schools there were. I was, mm. I taught music for a little while and I would just go. I've, would rotate through five different Catholic schools in Melbourne. And it's just, it, yeah, it's amazing to me how many, how that system works there. And 
It's unusual in the world. Australia has, it was actually, I think, a decision of one of the early plenary councils. We've just had a, another one recently. But the decision about 100 years ago, one of those plenary councils was that every parish would establish a parish school. Mm-hmm. And somehow or other, we managed to appeal to government because I think it was a young nation just getting started the government agreed to fund those parish schools and so that gave birth to our extensive Catholic school system in Australia but it's it's unlike anywhere else in the world I don't think most other Catholic school systems don't get government funding they're they're privately funded Mm -hmm. so it's a very unique situation for us here. So fascinating to hear the differences in cultures and differences between parishes and school setups and let's take a break now before we come back to answer a listener question. Smart loving newlywed. If you are recently married one of the most important things you can do for your marriage in its first year is to establish a habit of regular couple time. Smart loving newlywed is designed to help you do this. The content is drawn from Smart Loving's acclaimed relationship courses, which are used by thousands of couples. They explore timeless themes and are full of practical strategies. We want to help you establish simple lifestyle habits that will nourish your intimacy and protect your relationship from decay. Once a month, you will get an email in your inbox exploring the topic and detailing an activity for you to do as a couple. This includes some individual reflection questions, instructions for sharing together, and something to do during the week. Schedule a regular date night with your spouse where you can explore the topic together over dinner or a glass of wine. Visit smartloving.org forward slash newlywed to enroll today. Hi there, friends. This is Radio Maria Australia, and it's time for a Smart Loving Q&A. We hear a lot from parents who are heartbroken when their children abandon their Catholic faith. Sometimes this happens when they're still at school, but it's especially common when they go to university and encounter that secular environment that's so common there. As you, Andrew and Nicole, have both worked with young people in this space, both at the high school level and in the university level, what would be your advice for parents? Well, that's a, it's a tricky one. I think what I might say to that is is to, I guess, not give up on, on your kids. Like for us in our ministry, it was very clear from the beginning that there were some students who really weren't interested in, in what we had to say. And it was just a matter of being like, okay, well, instead of trying to, you know, quote unquote, evangelize to them, just going to journey with them you're just going Mm -hmm. to that's how we're going to show them about our faith is just by being in relationship with them and showing a genuine interest in them so maybe for parents it's really getting to know the passions and interests of your children and invest in those yourselves and to maybe I guess be patient with the process obviously you know pray for them you know we, we definitely did that for our students and just let God do the rest don't get too disheartened it's not like you've failed yeah, maybe that's that's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's great. Pray number one, and I hear I've heard quite a lot of stories about kids who go to uni and they kind of drift away, but then something that their parent or their mentor or their friend said or did for them in that kind of phase of drifting stuck with them and they made an impression that later ultimately encouraged them to come back to the faith or open their mind to something different to think about something in a new way. So I think just living for parents to live their faith authentically and joyfully and keep the prayers coming and and hope that one day their kids will come back and be 
moved by their own witness, by the parents' witness to it. It's really taking the long game, isn't it? Uh, I guess there's, for me, because this applies in my own situation, I have very much feel the heart of St Monica, the mother of Augustine, who, you know, prayed for his conversion, but also just entrusting them to the Lord. Uh, I think there's... The culture is quite fierce and we can't, even as parents, I know I've looked at my own, the way we've raised our children and I, there's, certainly there's been mistakes, there are things we could have done differently, but I think we also need to be careful not to take on more responsibility than we should, that the culture is quite fierce. But then the other thing is, is that's become really clear to me is, is that if I were to say one thing we did, we could have done differently, is that I think we should have been more proactive in engaging with other groups with young people so that we weren't relying so much on the the strength of our own faith in order to transmit that successfully to the children. It's really clear to me now that as parents, you you cannot do it all, especially when they hit those adolescent years. They actually need to be nurtured by other family and friends in faith. And that kind of broader community gets really, really important at those teenage years and older. And I think we perhaps could have been a little more proactive in building those opportunities from the get-go so that there was this continuous sort of community surrounding them of faith. Mm-hmm. Our parish, unfortunately, isn't hasn't reliably been able to provide that. Mm-hmm. So things like youth groups and, you know, covenant communities, movements, things like that seem to me to be a pretty vital ingredient these days in assisting yeah. parents I think as well, I was in my own faith journey, I look back, very blessed to have World Youth Day come to Sydney, Mm -hmm. my hometown. So that was just, you know, set my heart on fire, seeing all these young people like with Pope Benedict celebrating Mass. I was just like, I'm Catholic. Somebody gave me a compendium of the Catechism of the Catholic Church and I read it from my suburb, Pennant Hills, into the city. It's about a 40-minute trip. So I read it from cover to cover and at the end of that I just thought, this is the truth. This will set me up for life following this, you know, the commandments of God and a li- living a happy and holy life, trying to follow Jesus. But in in Joe's own experience, thinking about what you've just said, Fran, Kristen, his mum, never saw him reignite his faith. It was after mm. her passing, through the struggle of him losing his mum, that we met and we had some conversations about, you know, maybe you should go back to Mass and pray for your mum. She might need your prayers and talking Mm -hmm. about (laughs) things like that. As you said, the Holy Spirit moves and different moments in people's life and the storms and that come and the experiences of death or suffering or Mm -hmm. a problem, that's when God moves, I think. And actually somebody, I may have been corrected many times in my life, but one of them was around the whole idea of of evangelisation where, as somebody who's pretty proactive and gets in and gets organised, got a bit of a charism for administration and get things going and that sort of stuff, it's just to be reminded that actually evangelization is the work of the Holy Spirit. We cooperate with it, but it's not our responsibility. And sometimes I can get so attached to a particular outcome from some of my ministry efforts that I lose sight of the fact my mission is to cooperate. My mission is not to make it happen at all costs. And therefore, if it doesn't, it's not a failure on my part. It's it's really a failure of my of, of my trust in the process that the Lord has in place. And that can be quite freeing to just be able to say, okay, Lord, it's your job to make this happen. I'll do what I can. But end of the day, you're the guy that's responsible for it. And that, I think, brings a lot of lightness into it. It's less 
intense, it's less manipulative. We can make the proposal with freedom and let people respond freely without coercing them or pressuring them or manipulating them in some way. It's actually more loving. I don't know, do you, have you seen that dynamic at all, Andrew and Nicole, in your work? Yeah, 100%. You know, people will often um, often shut down very quickly if if they even get the sense that, you know, you're trying to push something on them or mm. you're disingenuous. Yeah, that's that's something to, to really be mindful of is, you know, we should always be genuine in our expression and in our sharing of the faith. I think it's in St. Paul's letter, it says always, be prepared to, to share your faith, but, you know, always do it with love. So definitely that's what that's what we saw is, you know, I think personally I made many mistakes along the year, but hopefully learned from some of them at the start where I was a little bit too upfront, too disingenuous. So it's just about taking that step back and, you know, really, I guess, doing what kind of like what Jesus would have done, not turning people away, you know, really journeying with them. Being real, being a friend, not having a motivation other than be with that person in whatever capacity yeah. you are. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It is really hard to kind of shut off that, especially if you're talking with someone who is an atheist or, you know, is really struggling. You're wanting to, what do I say? That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> but for me, I find that's really crippling because then I'm in my head and I'm, you know, it's so much more fruitful if, I, like Francine said, if I just don't have anything to do with it and let the Holy Spirit yeah. do the yeah. Holy Spirit. I, f- I find I'm in situations many times where I'm fretting about how to phrase something or how to put put something over convincingly and it always ends up flopping if I get too tied up with, well, what's the other person going to think about me if I don't say this well mm-hmm. whereas if I can hand it over to the Lord and say Lord if you need this message to get through you're going to have to provide the words mm-hmm. and that's yeah. generally much more successful and it's also it's less stressful so I think what actually is more convincing than the words is sometimes the demeanor behind it that when we sense an intensity or a stress that there's something about that that's off-putting for people but when we can be relaxed and let our just joy of living and re- abiding in the Lord just becomes naturally expressed. That is inherently attractive and convincing to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So true. Thank you for sharing, Fran and Andrew and Nicole. If you've got questions for us, you can contact us via the Radio Maria website or visit smartloving.org forward slash conversations. Now, we're coming to the end of our time together, friends, but before we sign off, we want to share a blessing with you. And so, Fran, I'll throw to you. What's your bless you for this SL Conversations? Look, I've got my head right in the Cath family headspace at the moment. We've got lots of big feasts coming up, Pentecost and Trinity, Corpus Christi and so on, and I've been working on some little craft activities for the kids on that little pig leg sheep. So my head's right in that space. So I'd just like to... Point that out for people, cathfamily.org, full of lots of free resources, craft activities, recipes, little prayer services you can do at home. Beautiful. Andrew and Nicole, what about you? What's your bless you? For me, yeah, it's a book by Edward Shree. It's called uh, The Good, The Messy and The Beautiful. Fantastic book if you're newly married or, or even if you're engaged. Uh, it's a follow-up to an earlier book that he's written, but really, really great. And if you're not someone who's into reading, he's also got a podcast called All Things Catholic and towards the end of last year they kind of talked about the book as well so you can have a listen there. Great we'll put the links in the show notes for our listeners. What about you Nicole? I am a huge Catholic Answers fan so the Catholic Answers podcast and they have Catholic Answers Focus 
And if you have any question about the faith at all, if you type it in, followed by Catholic Answers, resources, articles will come up. They just touch on everything and do it really concisely and helpfully. Mm. Yeah, it's very readable, isn't it? It's really, really accessible. Laura, what's yours? You've all given really spiritual Catholic, bless you, so I'll throw it to very practical nourishing of of our bodies, which was a, it's a bit cold in Sydney at the moment, so I've really got into my slow cooker recently, and I found a Facebook group called Slow Cooker Recipes for Families, and there's thousands of people in this group and they all share their latest slow cooker recipe and photos of what they've made for dinner which is very inspiring so (laughs) i'll put the link in our show notes to that if you want to join that facebook group thank you we're definitely checking that one out well that brings us to the end of our time together you can find more information including links to our blessings show notes and more at smartloving.org forward slash conversations that's www.smartloving.org forward slash conversations we're francine parola and laura kane from smart loving with special thanks to our guests nicole and andrew combo We pray that you will be blessed in your walk with the Lord today and we lift you up in all your intentions to our patron saints. Our Lady Undoer of Knots, pray pray for for us. us. St. John Paul II, pray Pray for for us. us. This is Radio Maria Australia. Goodbye.